Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these here speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Crescens and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Amen. It's been a fairly terrible three or four days, hasn't it? With uh, Donald Trump pulling out of a climate change agreement and then uh, events in London. And then there's um, another story in the immediate moment about uh, an attack in Cabo uh, at a funeral. Um, there are terrible things happening across the world. And I, am, I come this morning and I hope you come as well. Um, knowing that we need the Spirit of God to fill us more than ever before, that this isn't just uh, an abstract issue this morning. It's not something that we can just uh, hold in our heads and think this happened 2,000 years ago, but you and me right now, we need the Holy Spirit of God to come and to fill us because we need to be uh, people who bring love and grace and peace and unity wherever we go this week. Because when you go to work tomorrow, when I uh, go to the shops and as we meet people, we're going to meet people who are broken and hurting, who are afraid by what this world offers. And we're going to meet people on Thursday in polling stations who are angry and distressed, who feel forgotten about and lost and isolated. And if the Holy Spirit isn't at work in you and in me this week, then we don't have an awful lot to offer people. Today, we're not talking about something abstract, something that we can hold at a distance and think, oh, wouldn't it be good if the Holy Spirit would come? But the Holy Spirit wants to meet with you and me this morning. It wants to fill us, and we so desperately need it to come and to work amongst us. I hope you agree with me this morning on that. So as we uh, talk about this and as we pray later on, uh, we just need to be attentive to what the Spirit's doing. You need to be uh, inviting the Holy Spirit of God to come and to fill you, not tomorrow, not on Thursday, but right now as we sit, as we listen, and as we worship and pray later on that the Spirit of God would come and fill each of us. Today, uh, as we said, we remember Pentecost. Pentecost is the moment where uh, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, was poured out into the people of God. Uh, the followers of Jesus, 120, are, are gathered uh, in a room in Jerusalem, uh, and they've been waiting for the Holy Spirit. Uh, Libby spoke last week uh, about some of the last words of Jesus to his followers, where he says, uh, there's a gift that I've promised you. 
Uh, Libby talked about uh, the fact that God promised we wait and he will, that God has promised his Holy Spirit that we wait for it to come and that as we wait, God is uh, faithful to be good to all of his promises. And uh, So the followers of Jesus uh, have gone from there to Jerusalem, to the upper room, uh, and they've spent 10 days waiting there for the Holy Spirit. And over the course of those 10 days, uh, they've selected a replacement for Judas. Uh, a man called Matthias has been selected to replace him. And the scriptures also say that they prayed constantly. They prayed constantly that the Holy Spirit would come and fill them. So this morning, before we uh, get on to today's passage, I want to ask you, are you praying that the Holy Spirit would come and fill you? Are you praying day after day after day that the Holy Spirit would come and fill you, that he would make uh, himself known in your life? Are you going to be praying this week uh, as you meet with people who are uh, fearful, as you meet with people who don't know uh, which way to vote, who are lost, who are hurting, who are broken? Are you going to be praying that the Holy Spirit would fill you? Uh, For 10 days, the followers of Jesus pray, and the passage says, constantly, without ceasing, They continue to bring themselves before God. And that's not because they doubt that Jesus is going to uh, fall bad on his promise. They they know that the Holy Spirit will come because Jesus has promised, but they're opening themselves up. They're being receptive. They're humbling themselves before God so the Holy Spirit can work in them and through them. This morning, this week, are we, have we been praying that the Holy Spirit would work through us, that it would meet with us? I think... uh, From this passage, this Pentecost, I think the Holy Spirit is doing three things. I think the Holy Spirit is purifying, it's bringing power, and it's bringing unity. The Holy Spirit uh, in this passage is bringing uh, purity, power, and it's also bringing unity. Uh, The passage uh, starts like this. It says, uh, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God enabled them. The Holy Spirit comes and it floods the room. And as the Holy Spirit, as the presence of God is poured out in that place, there's a violent shaking. Uh, there's fire. Uh, The followers of Jesus can hear something, they can see something, they can feel something tangibly different in that moment because the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, is making itself known. I wonder if you ever had uh, an encounter, an experience with God, maybe in worship or another moment where where suddenly it all felt different around you, uh, where the Holy Spirit of God became present uh, in a tangible way. Uh, We were... um, worshipping at the seven o'clock last week. And in the first set uh, of worshippers we were uh, worshipping, I I had a tangible sense of the presence of God uh, in and around me. This this isn't something that happened 2,000 years ago in Stop. This isn't something for uh, weird churches and other bits of Edinburgh. This is happening here in P's and G's with perfectly normal, well-restrained people just like you and me. The Holy Spirit is making things feel tangibly different. At Pentecost, it comes like a fire. It comes like a shaking of the walls, like a a violent rumbling. Other times it comes softly and gently, but the Holy Spirit makes things feel tangibly different. 
Is that your experience of God? Or do you hold yourself a little bit too far back? Do you think that's not very me, that's not very Edinburgh, that's not the way things should be, and so you hold yourself at a distance? That's not the the biblical experience of the Holy Spirit where it becomes present and things change because God is there. The Holy Spirit is making itself known and as it comes, it's changing the atmosphere. As it does it, it brings about purity. Uh, It talks about uh, the Holy Spirit appearing like fire and it it comes as one mass of fire uh, and then the tongues of flames land on all the followers' heads. Uh, fire, flames within uh, scripture are synonymous of purity, of uh, old dead things being burnt up. And the old dead things get burnt up so that new life can come. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes and it purifies It gets rid of the dead. It burns up the old so that new life, new growth can come in you and in me wherever we go. The Holy Spirit comes and it brings purity. I spoke uh, a couple of weeks ago um, at this service about uh, the fact that God makes us holy by the fact that he sanctifies us. The Holy Spirit comes and he makes us holy. He makes us pure. Uh, uh, Jesus came and he took, uh, Jesus came and he lived the perfect life and he took all of our sin, all of our struggle, all of our brokenness on his shoulders uh, and he died our death. And as he died, he was separated from God. At the moment that Jesus was separated from God, uh, our connection with God became possible. We got Jesus' standing, Jesus' relationship, Jesus' rightness before God. We took his righteousness. Uh, And so we have been made holy. We've been made pure. The Holy Spirit has come and it's purified us. But as it's purified us, we're also being purified. I also mentioned a couple of weeks ago that... um, the change is a bit like uh, when we legally, be- if you legally become married. And so in a, a moment, you, you sign a bit of paper and that's a legal reality, but you have to change the way that you live so that you live as a married person. It means that you um, have to stop dating other people. It means that you, um, you, you do have to stop dating other people. That's one of the rules. Uh, <laughs> It means that you, um, you have to cook for two and not just for one. It means that you have to uh, change the way that you live so that uh, you accommodate another person in your space, that, that your legal realities change and now your life needs to change in response to it. The Holy Spirit has purified you and me if we've accepted Jesus uh, and we need to allow uh, our lives to reflect that purity. John 6, 13 uh, says that the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. Truth is a person, not a list of facts. Truth is Jesus. And as the Holy Spirit leads you into relationship with Jesus, uh, you become aware of all the areas of your life that you need to change, all the things that you need to shift and you need to uh, allow to be different in your life. I've, um, I've recently uh, got myself a, a spiritual director, um, which sounds very grand. Just someone to tell me that I'm not quite praying enough and praying properly. Um, that's not quite true. He's much nicer than that. Uh, he's Duncan Hughes, so he is, he is lovely. Um, <laughs> But we've, uh, we've been meeting over the past few weeks, uh, and we're, we're going through um, a sequence of prayers, and it's a bit like um, reading the different chapters of a book, and so uh, we've, uh, we've prayed through the ascension of uh, Jesus, we've prayed through Jesus' victory, and at the minute, uh, we are praying through um, my own sinfulness, which I do not recommend doing. It's one of the, um, it is very, very uncomfortable, and earlier on uh, this week, I came to a point of thinking, I, I don't actually think I'm that sinful. I, I, don't, I, I genuinely think I'm quite a good guy, 
that I, you know, I, I do the, the best that I can in as many situations as I can. And um, the way that we're praying, it kind of engages your imagination. And um, at the end of each time of prayer, you have a conversation with Jesus. And I said to Jesus, look, Jesus, if I'm completely honest, I think I'm all right. I think I've kind of got this thing. Like, I'm not perfect, but we're, we're doing okay. And then for the next four days, um, it sounds a bit weird, but just run with me here. For the next four days, um, Jesus has led me around the rooms of different houses, and we've sat down, and he's shown me all the different ways that I've sinned. One morning, he brought me all of my ex-girlfriends. I, I do not recommend it. But, but in, that, in that moment and over the past four days, I, I've become aware that I might feel like I have it all together. I might feel like, actually, I, I do the right thing. I live the right kind of life. But, but we are in need of the grace of God. We break things. We hurt people. We do things that we shouldn't do. We are all sinful. We all miss the mark. We all lead to our own separation with God. And so we need the Holy Spirit to come, not just to purify us, but to continue to purify us, to continue to lead us into all truth. This morning, is the Holy Spirit leading you into truth, into deeper relationship, deeper connection with Jesus? Is it burning off the old so that new life and new growth? You might think that actually your life is fine, that you by and large get it right. Jesus this morning wants you to know gently and kindly that we all need him. We all need his spirit to come and to work in us and to purify us. The Holy Spirit comes and he purifies. And he also comes and he brings power. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit appears like fire, like purity. And he appears like the sound of a loud wind, a rumbling, a demonstration of the power of God. At Pentecost, God pours out his power into you and into me. And as we receive the Holy Spirit, as we receive that power, that power comes into us to disrupt and to transform. That power comes into you and me to disrupt and to transform so that uh, the way that things are isn't the way that it has to always be. Now, I, um, I used to work uh, in a, a tea shop. It was my first job when I was 16 years old. And I worked in a, a little uh, tea shop in the Lake District. And, um, and my boss was Irish. And um, he conformed to every possible stereotype of the Irish. Uh, he drank lots, he smoked lots, he swore lots, and he was uh, fantastically angry the whole time. And I, 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 am, I was, and in some respects, still I'm a fairly useless employee. So I gave him lots of reasons to be angry at me the whole time. But um, I remember that he would, um, he would uh, go outside and he would smoke and then he would storm back into the kitchen where I was trying to do the pots and he would start um, bashing things around and swearing and shouting at me. And I, um, I remember me and him having stand-up rows. I, I worked there with my, um, my twin brother for a little while until my twin brother had such a blazing row with him that my brother stormed out and never came back. Uh, everything uh, about... Uh, the, the gentleman that used to run that tea shop gave off the impression of power and authority. Uh, he made loud noises. He was angry. He was aggressive. He, he made everyone a little bit afraid of him, a little bit worried. But, but that demonstration of power was just masking an insecurity within him. It was just masking a, a sense of weakness and fragility and of maybe the, the business not quite going like he wanted it to and other people's expectations on me. That's not what the power of God is like. Maybe when we say power, you immediately pull back because that's what you think of. You think of someone who's 
shouting at you, who's out to get you, who's trying to catch you up. That's not what the power of God is like. If uh, my old boss's power was born out of uh, insecurity and fragility, the, the power of God is born out of security and love. The power of God is a demonstration of his security and his love. Because the power of God, it comes to disrupt things. It comes to say that the way that things are isn't the way that they always need to be. When people come here for um, soul food on a Saturday night and we feed them, we are a demonstration of the power of God. Because the, the narrative, the story is that these people deserve to be forgotten. They're um, marginalized, they're not worth anything. They must have made a set of decisions that got themselves into this. And somehow they now deserve the situation that they're in. But when they come into this space and we feed them and we have conversations with them and we show them the value that God puts on them, we are a demonstration of the power of God because we disrupt that old story, that old way of thinking. Uh, when a, a new parent comes here on a Thursday morning or an afternoon and they bring their child with them uh, and the expectation for themselves is they're going to be lonely and isolated and we welcome them into a family and a community and we say there are people here who care and support you. We're a demonstration of the power of God because we're disrupting and we're changing that old narrative, that old story. When you go to the polling stations on Thursday... And you don't vote based on what's uh, going to make you the richest, what's going to make you the most successful, the most comfortable, but instead you use your vote for somebody else's gain. You use it to remember the last, the lost, the least, the poor and the marginalized in our community. You are disrupting the narrative, the assumption of our society and our culture. And in that moment, you're a demonstration of the power of God. When we pray for people and they're sick, they're injured, and we ask that God would heal them, we disrupt the narrative that says this world is about death and decay, that things are always going one way. The power of God comes to break the ground. And like when you're um, digging your garden, you've not dug it for a while, and the, the top inch of soil uh, is really thick and cracked and hard, and nothing new can spring out of it. And you, you stick your spade or your fork into it, and you break the ground. The power of God this morning is breaking the ground. It's disrupting things. And as things get disrupted, new life can come up. Tomorrow morning when you're stood at the school gate at work, at home, you meet someone in the shops and they make a comment about how all Muslims must be terrorists. And you say, that's not really true. That's not really the way that things are. You are a demonstration of the power of God. The Holy Spirit is working in you, bringing about a boldness and a courage to break the ground and to change the narrative. As the Holy Spirit works its power through you, we point them to Jesus. Holy Spirit works through us to bring power so that people can come to know Jesus. We're, uh, as we break that ground, we signpost and we say that this is possible. This happens because there is a God who is loving and gracious and merciful. This week, how are you going to represent God? How are you going to let the power of his Holy Spirit flow through you so that you can disrupt and you can change things? The Holy Spirit brings uh, purity and it brings power and it also brings unity. Uh, the second part of our passage this morning uh, says this. It says, uh, Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Uh, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who were speaking Galileans? 
uh, then, how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, uh, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? There are people from all over, and they each hear the good news, that the wonders of God in their own native language, in a way that they can understand. And there are lots of people in Jerusalem that day, because Pentecost happens on a very significant Jewish festival, the Festival of Weeks, it's called. Uh, and in that uh, festival, uh, Jews would come from all over the Roman Empire to Jerusalem to offer God the first part of the harvest, uh, the first part of the harvest of that year. Uh, and as they uh, brought that offering, they would be doing two things, offering two prayers. Uh, one would be uh, a prayer of uh, gratitude and thankfulness to God that there was a good harvest that year. They'd be saying, God, we're so grateful that you've allowed us to gather in the first portion of the harvest, so there'd be a prayer of thanksgiving. Uh, they'd also be uh, praying to God and saying, God, would you let the rest of the harvest be likewise? Uh, would you let uh, the rest of our crop be safe and secure? This was an important uh, festival in an agricultural society. If uh, your crops get ruined, if there's um, unseasonable rains, then uh, the whole uh, crop gets uh, damaged and you can't feed your family and you can't um, sell on your grain to buy the things. So this was a really important Jewish festival. So people would come from far and wide to be in Jerusalem for that day. Uh, and as uh, they're gathered in Jerusalem on that day, suddenly these people burst out of a room and they start uh, speaking in everyone's native language. And did you, did you catch in verse 7, it, uh, they comment on the fact that they're Galileans. Galileans. Galileans? Galileans. I feel like I'm doing a Gilbert and Sullivan song. Galileo, Galileo, can you do the Fandango? Anyway. Um, uh, they burst out of the room, and people comment on the fact that they are from Galilee. Uh, the reason they comment on the fact that they're from Galilee uh, is because if you're from Galilee, then you have a reputation for being uncultured. You have a reputation for, um, for being a bit thick. Um, if you want a modern-day parallel, think Brits abroad. Think uh, people who are um, out in the sun for too long, who mainly don't bother to learn the language, uh, and who are just a, a bit loutish. We are people from Galilee in this story, lots of us. And we go abroad and we speak slightly slower and a bit louder and with hand gestures. And we expect them to understand. Can you imagine um, people's astonishment if you went abroad and you could speak everyone's native language? Uh, they are completely amazed because this is not what we expect from people from Galilee. Uh, they are defying the stereotype. Uh, the, the implication here is, wow, if people from Galilee are speaking a foreign language, it must truly be a work of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> if people from Britain go abroad and they speak a foreign language, it must truly be a work of the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm going to France in two weeks to go cycling, and I'm having to send all of my emails in English in the vain hope that someone somewhere might speak English and I might be fine. But, but it makes me feel like an uneducated Galilean in this story. And so the, the Galileans come out and, uh, and people say, gosh, this must be uh, something different. We can hear them, we can understand them, and they are from Galilee. The Holy Spirit is coming and it's allowing them to speak these different languages, speak in their native tongue. So, so what's the Holy Spirit doing in that moment? 
I think one of the things that it's doing is it's bringing unity. It's bringing people together from uh, different tribes, from different nations, from all across. And it's saying that the kingdom of God is for you. There's no exclusion. It's not about uh, race or creed or nationality, but the kingdom of God is for you. At Pentecost, we get a taste of what heaven is going to be like. At Pentecost, we get a taste of what heaven's going to be like. Revelation 7, 9, which is um, John, when he goes to um, heaven, it's a story of what he sees there. Uh, One of the things he says is that he sees a multitude of people surrounding the throne of every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and they bow the knee before Jesus. They bow the knee before the throne, before the Lamb of God. People from every nation, every tribe, every tongue responding to the good news of Jesus. In Pentecost on Jerusalem, people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue bow the knee before Jesus. They respond to the good news, to the wonders of God. There's a foretaste of heaven in this moment. A sense of this is what heaven will be like as everyone responds to Jesus. As we recognize there's a king on the throne and he's not bound by nationality. He's not bound by walls or borders or the distinctions that you and I sometimes want to make. But God is announcing himself as the king of all. In our passage last week, uh, Jesus says, I am sending you out to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. He's sending his followers out as envoys across national borders. Uh, Jesus isn't playing by the rules of our modern map. Uh, He's not playing by the rules of uh, the society which says, I'm coming to be the king of Israel or the king of the Roman Empire. But Jesus, no, I am the king of the whole earth and I am gathering everyone up to myself regardless of where you've come from. If there's any uh, racism, any prejudice within you that wants to put other uh, nationalities at a distance, if you're uh, xenophobic, if you look down in any way on people because of where they're from, whether they're uh, from Eastern Europe or from Africa or from England or from another part of the world, that is counter-gospel. That's counter-gospel. That kind of attitude, that kind of mentality will not stand up in heaven. Jesus says that I've come to be the king of all. Uh, There's an echo uh, in this part of the story of another Old Testament story as well. Uh, A story that we find way back in Genesis, right at the beginning, when uh, the people had uh, started to think they were very intelligent. Uh, And they'd uh, gone from building things out of stone to building uh, bricks and holding those bricks together with tar. And they thought that if they could do that, there would be no end to their own ability, to their own power. And so they build a very tall tower. They build a very tall tower and they try and make the tower reach up to God, to reach up to the heavens. And uh, the passage says that uh, God came down and he saw what they were doing. And he scattered them across the land. And he gave them different tongues, different languages. The story of the Tower of Babel. And as he gives them different languages and tongues, tribes form and divisions solidify. And because there's no understanding between the sets of people anymore, there's wars and conflicts. At Pentecost, we see God reverse that. And he says there is uh, one tongue now, one language. And that language is used to bring glory to God. It's to bring people into relationship with him. Where this week are you going to work to bring unity wherever you go? To look beyond uh, class, colour, political parties. To look beyond religious barriers and the boundaries that we want to put in place. Where are you going to look beyond those 
boundaries to bring the kingdom of God, to announce uh, with one tongue that there is the good news of Jesus, that he is king, that he's Lord, that he's gracious and merciful. The Holy Spirit is working in us and amongst us. As we uh, come into finish this morning, I want you to, to know these things, that uh, the Holy Spirit comes as we pray, as we seek God. Uh, we need the Holy Spirit to work uh, in us this morning and this week uh, as we uh, go out and we face the questions and the thoughts. And people will want to know what you, a person of faith, has to say about these things. So you need to pray that the Holy Spirit would come and fill you. Uh, and as he uh, fills us, he purifies us. Uh, he puts us in right relationship with God and he continues to purify us. He continues to lead us into relationship with Jesus and that uh, prompts us to change the way that we live. Uh, and then the power comes like a violent wind, a power that lets us disrupt the way that things are, that lets us uh, challenge and confront the stories that we say, whether it's uh, that these people deserve the future that they have or, or that things always decay and weary and there'll be no healing here. The power of God works through us and it disrupts us and it brings unity, brings unity across uh, different colours, different classes, different races, across uh, religious boundaries and borders. Uh, as the Holy Spirit comes uh, and as it fills us this morning. Amen.